the hard part is changing your mindsets because that's what you've got to work on first and foremost before you can change the behavior. And then once you start to change the behavior, putting kind of systems and processes in place for your life and your business so that you can sustain those behaviors. So I think we need to kind of first and foremost talk about that mindset. So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our business, grow our leadership and develop our teams in a way that allows us to get our products and services out of the world yet still remain profitable? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner, and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Hey, before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. Welcome to another episode of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. My name is Bradley Hamner. So grateful for you to join us again. On today's episode, we have Alicia Locke. Alicia is a financial coach with Money Mentor Group. Let me ask you a question. What is your money story? We all have one. If we go back to some other podcasts, we talked about who has put things in your box. And today we really talk around business financials and even your personal financials and especially your mindset. So what is your money story? On today's episode, we get into a lot of different mindset and behavioral things that you need to think about in your business and in your personal financials. How does that affect your communication with your spouse and your other loved ones, et cetera? I love this podcast. I learned a lot from it. It has really made me rethink a lot of the things around how I think around money and where those things came to. What is my money story? My money story started with my father, who's a small business owner, and then carried on to my degree from Auburn University and really how that did not translate over into my business. I was telling her after our podcast recording about how that story around my business financials and really the lack thereof really hampered me. And it was ultimately coming across Club Capital and being able to really educate myself about how to manage money in a better way, first from the business, and then ultimately that leads over to your personal finances. I think you're going to get a lot out of this. Without further ado, let's get into it. Wouldn't it be a great start to 2021 by having more leads in your book of business? Well, that's where our partners at Direct Clicks Inc. come in. Their team's dialed-in approach to running Google ads and online SEO campaigns maximize the quality and the volume of your leads, whether that's for inbound phone calls or even exclusive leads through your website. Direct Clicks Inc. works only with PNC insurance agency owners, so they have thousands of hours creating, A-B split testing, and improving online campaigns specifically for insurance. They also understand why each and every marketing dollar matters in providing true results, low paper clicks, transparency, and attention to detail, all of which is discussed in depth during your monthly review calls. Reach out to the Direct Clicks team at directclicksinc.com. That's directclicksinc.com and find out how they can make a difference in your approach to generating new business. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue and increase your bottom line? Club Capital is here to help. Built for agents by agents, so we know your struggles. 
with accounting, payroll, and HR solutions, tax services, analytics, and more, let's get you on the path to serious success. Using data-driven insights, you'll grow your business based on revenue and expense comparisons alongside your top-performing peers. With over $100 million in tracked annual revenue and $70 million in tracked annual expenses, we have the data to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. Let's make your back office less of a hassle and more of the strategic generator that powers the growth to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book your complimentary, no obligation demo. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. Elisa, welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Excited to have you. So we always start with background and origin stories. So for those that don't know you, when we had a chance to speak a week ago or so, I was really fascinated about your background. I think it will resonate with a lot of our podcast listening audience. So why don't you take a few minutes and share how you got to where you are today? Sure, I'd be happy to. Well, I'll I'll take that in two directions. One will be a professional side and one will be a personal side. So professionally, I think of myself as a serial entrepreneur because my entire career, I've either been self-employed or during those times where I wasn't self-employed, I was always in sales, worked on commission, got paid based on my performance. My very first business, actually, I started in my early 20s, and I had a collection agency of all the crazy kind of businesses to be in, but I had several businesses and actually came into the insurance and financial services world at the age of 40 when I became a State Farm agent. I was a State Farm agent in Northern Virginia for three years, wonderful experience, loved it. Knockwood did very well. And in that corporate culture, very often when the company sees an agent doing well and having some of the leadership competencies that the company is looking for, they kind of tap you on the shoulder towards leadership or management. And so I did take that route and spent a couple of years as what we call an agency field consultant, and then a couple of years as a territory sales leader before I retired to everybody's surprise in my early 50s. And when I retired, I thought that I would just lie on a beach, see my grandchildren, you know, just kind of take it easy. And that lasted about a week. And I came to the realization that was not for me. I still have way too much energy, way too much passion, creative side. And so I started to really think about what is it that I really wanted to do with the rest of my life? And being a serial entrepreneur, I knew I wanted to be in some kind of business for myself. And so I knew I wanted something that was flexible, that could help people, that would be fulfilling. And I felt like my superpower in life was managing money and money mindset and money behavior because it's due to those things that I was able to retire, uh, be financially able to do so. I had met a woman named Jane Helm, who is the founder of Money Mentor Group, several years ago at a networking event. And I remember meeting her and she told me what she did as a financial coach. And I remember thinking, what the heck is that? And why would anybody need a money coach? So I called her up 
because it intrigued me. We had many, many cups of coffee, many conversations sitting on the couch and talking about how we could come together and work together. And I joined her in 2019 as a financial coach after going through some training. I also became a certified financial literacy educator. And that's where I am today on a professional side. But I think the story's not complete until I tell you some things about me personally. I grew up in Stanford, Connecticut, which is a very wealthy community, if you know where that is. But we were not wealthy. We were low to middle class, somewhere in there. But I remember always feeling like we were the poor folks in town. We always had enough food. We always had clothes, but we didn't have the luxuries that I saw all around me. So in my 20s, when I got married to my first husband, we basically on our two incomes, we felt like we had a license to spend. And we were like a lot of young couples. We bought a house very quickly because we felt like, oh, we're married. We're about to have a child. We got to buy a house. We had two cars with two big car payments. We went on vacations. And so before we knew it, we had quite a bit of debt. We had very little in savings, but we had a very nice house. We had nice cars. We were kind of living the American dream. Fast forward a couple years. Unfortunately, I ended up getting divorced and I found myself in my early 30s as a divorced single mom on my own with my daughter. And I reached a point where I realized that I was petrified fearful that I would never be able to provide my daughter the life that I wanted to because of what I was doing with my money. I left the marriage with about $60,000 in debt, pretty much no savings. And even though I had a decent job, I was living paycheck to paycheck. And I realized that if I didn't change what I was doing with my money, I'd never be able to send her to college. I'd never be able to retire. And so at some point when I had to stop working because physically I couldn't do it anymore, I'd be a burden on to her. And I just thought, this is not the life that I want to live. And so I just started reading books about personal finance, about money mindset and money behavior. And just little by little, I started chipping away at my debt. I got one paid off. And then I started working on the next one. I started changing my habits with my money, saving more. And as I did that, the fear began to subside and I began to feel more confident with my future and my financial future. Fast forward to my 30s, I did get remarried to my current husband. We've been married for 20 some odd years. And he shared my mindset around money. And we set a goal for ourselves that we wanted to be able to retire on the early side. And we just lived our lives that way. And I'll get into, I'm sure later in our conversation, some of the particular things that we did, but we really had it as a goal that we wanted to retire early. And as it turns out, my husband developed something called Meniere's disease, which is a virus of the inner ear. And he became deaf because of that. And he has vertigo all the time because of that. And when he got that Meniere's disease, we realized 
now's the time. All the stars and moon aligned. It was time. And so I walked away from a very lucrative job at State Farm in my early 50s, much to a lot of people's shock, because our portfolio was in a place where I was able to do so. And so that's where I am today. And so that's one of the reasons I became a financial coach, because I felt like if I can do it, anybody can do it. I'm not smarter than anybody else. I didn't win the lottery. I didn't marry a millionaire. I didn't inherit money. It was just changing the mindset and habits that enabled me to go from in my 30s, really not having very much, to 20 years later, being able to walk away and retire. I love the story arc. That's why we asked this question to begin with on the podcast, because I think it's just so fascinating how people got to where they are. And it's often said that a lot of the times, whether it's a coach or consulting or just businesses get started because that they were helped, they were able to solve a problem for themselves, and then they be able to help other people to be able to solve that same problem. That's exactly what you did. So I have so many questions around that. One of the first questions that comes up is it's I wish I could give credit to where I got this from, but it's often said that the biggest gap in life is the difference between knowledge and execution. And so you mentioned that you began to read books and study and educate yourself. Well, that was a pretty common step. Okay. I need to learn more about how money behavior and mindset happens, but that's not the hard part in my opinion. The hard part is actually the doing and really then the discipline and the consistency because people can get motivated often. In our listening audience are business owners, and oftentimes they're helping either their teams or their clients with that. But we would be remiss if we didn't think that there's some people out there that struggle with money themselves, whether it's with their business finances or their personal finances. But I want you to just talk about the difference between whenever you started to educate yourself, started to get the knowledge that you need, and then to actually go through on the execution piece. You can talk about that for yourself, but also some of the clients that you've worked with. You are spot on with that. People know what to do with their money, right? Mm -hmm. You have to spend less and save more, right? Mm -hmm. Especially people in the insurance industry, insurance agents. That's a pretty smart group of people. They know what to do. In fact, a lot of them are not only in the insurance industry, but also in the financial services industry as well. And very often have things like advanced designations that give them a lot of knowledge and skills in terms of investing and personal finance and budgeting. So they know what to do. You are 100% right that the hard part is changing your mindset, because that's what you've got to work on first and foremost before you can change the behavior. And then once you start to change the behavior, putting kind of systems and processes in place for your life and your business so that you can sustain those behaviors. So I think we need to kind of first and foremost talk about that mindset. I relate that to very often concepts around working out and eating right. So I'll share this with you. During the pandemic, I noticed that, you know, I was home a lot and our lives changed in a pretty radical way during that period. And I noticed that at nights when my husband would go to bed early and I'm kind of a night owl, 
my pantry was like calling to me. And as much as I knew I shouldn't be opening those pantry doors and eating those chips and cookies and sweets and crackers and whatever it was that I was eating, it was just a habit that I was getting into. I tried to change the habit and I was really struggling with it. So I said, all right, Elisa, you're a coach. Okay. You know that you have to understand why you do what you do first and foremost. Right. So I said, well, what's going on here? And what I realized is that during that nighttime, I was feeling bored and I was feeling lonely and I was feeling isolated. And once I acknowledged those feelings, then I could change the habit. So it's the same thing with your money. Okay. You have to understand why you do what you do with your money. So everybody has a money story. And the money story are the messages that we all hear as children and adolescents growing up around money. These are messages we hear from our parents. These are messages we hear from our environment. These are messages that we may get from our culture or our religion. The messages that I heard from my parents growing up was always a message of we can't afford it. So I call that a message of scarcity. And that was one of the reasons why in my 20s, I started to earn money. I felt like I deserve to have a nice car and I deserve to have a nice house and I deserve to have designer handbags because I came from a money story of scarcity. So that was that mindset. So I think we have to understand that mindset in order to change that behavior. And that, by the way, really impacts how a small business owner deals with money in their business as well. So if they're coming from a place where they feel deprived or they've got that scarcity mindset, that's going to overflow to their business too. I think the other mindset piece that's really important to talk about, and it's very common, is that we often will equate our self-worth with our net worth, our self-worth with our net worth. We buy things to make ourselves feel good. When we buy a luxury car and we drive up to a company meeting, we feel successful, right? When we've got a beautiful office or lots of team members or your staff, right? That makes us feel successful. So we're equating our self-worth with the net worth, the monetary things. And so I think those are some of those mindset things that are really coming into play when we think about money. I think it's so true. I mean, even Starbucks, you mentioned having X number of team members, what your office looks like, what do you drive, what neighborhood do you live in? I think that those are the big things, but I think it's even as often as carrying a Starbucks because it's more of a status. And I would certainly be guilty of this. I mean, nobody is carrying around a Folgers cup, right? Or at least (laughs) proudly saying, you know, Folgers or Maxwell House or something like that, right? There's no status symbol, so to speak, with that. So. I am curious about this idea of, I don't know if it would be motivation, so you could certainly give an idea of what I mean here. And it's, I guess, push and pull factors. And what I mean is running away from pain 
So in your story, you were divorced and $60,000 in debt. So you had an event, a catalytic event to say, I am going to run away from this. How often in your coaching are you helping someone to be able to articulate? They say, I'm in a bad shape. I'm in $100,000 in business debt or $500,000 in business debt and over my head versus being able to get them to articulate where they actually want to be with their money and what they will look and feel like whenever they've gotten rid of the debt, et cetera. Does that make sense? The pain and pleasure axiom. So I'm curious for you to comment on that. Yeah, very often it takes some kind of catastrophic event in somebody's life in order for somebody to come to the realization that they've got to make a change. So often we hear stories about somebody who sees a picture of themselves and they're shocked and they say, oh, I didn't realize I looked like that. Maybe I want to change my workout plan or what I'm eating or something like that. Or sometimes we talk to me about money. We experience what I call financial trauma. So that could be something like wanting to buy a house and not being able to because person's credit is so bad, or they just realize, I don't have enough money for the closing costs even, let alone putting money down. Or their child wants to go to a certain college or university and coming to the realization, I haven't saved anything. I can't even do it. Or a lot of people during the pandemic came to the realization that they didn't have an emergency fund a funded emergency fund like they should have, and now they needed it. And so sometimes you're right. It does take a catastrophic event, but it's really unfortunate. And I hope that as a financial coach, I can raise the awareness of people to start making small changes before they hit some kind of traumatic or catastrophic event. There's one client that kind of comes to mind, and I'll certainly leave their name out of this. But I'm going to use this story as an illustration because I'm curious kind of what your process is, not for you to give way on this podcast, the entire thing that you're able to do with them. But they have this in their mid-50s, successful in the sense of how much revenue they bring in. They bring over seven figures, and even the business expenses are actually fairly low. I mean, the quote profitability on the PL is 50% or so and have no cash. All right. So we're talking about kind of business financials here. And the reason is, is because the debt service payments, the debt loads are astronomical. And so the answer is basically, well, I can just make the payment. I can afford to make the payment. And before you know it, in this one particular case, you're looking at one point, I think it's around $1.3 million total in debt, something around $20,000 a month in debt payments. And so it would be incredible the amount of cash that this business would be putting out for this particular business owner, but the debt load is just too much. And the reason I'm asking this question is around how do you begin to even like in that sense, get somebody to change their mindset around well, what's the payment? I mean, I can afford another $300 payment. What's another $300 at this point? And it's just unfortunate to say, like, at some point, you're just going to end up dying with, you know, a million dollars in debt or whatever the case may be. So what do you do to begin to change somebody's mindset around that? Uh, great question. I think we've all come across insurance agents who are in their 60s or 70s or even 80s 
who say, I'm still working because I can't afford to retire. Mm -hmm. And it's heartbreaking. I have to tell you that, and I'll share this story with you. When I was a sales leader, I had an agent in my territory pass away after a, a short-term illness, and he was in his 50s. And this was an agent that most people would consider pretty successful by all measures of success. And after he passed away, part of my role for the company was to sit down with his widow and somebody from corporate on the phone to explain the benefits that were available to her and all of the finances, right, type of thing. And as it turns out, based on a number of different factors, the widow really wasn't getting too much from the company in terms of benefits, just the contractual obligations of the company, what they were, et cetera. And the widow said, it's okay because he left me a ton of life insurance. Well, we come to find out that all that life insurance that she thought he had, he had taken out all these loans on all the life insurance. And so she really was getting very little. And I had to share that with her. And I remember that meeting like it was yesterday because she was devastated. She turned to me sobbing and said, how am I going to live? I've got two girls in college. How am I going to survive? I was counting on all this life insurance. And it was everything that I could do in that moment, frankly, to hold it together. And I went out to my car after that meeting and I sobbed for probably an hour. It was a real low point. My heart broke for her. And I remember after the feeling of sadness, I was angry. And I thought, how could he have done this? He knows better. And when I was thinking of becoming a financial coach, this story is always in my mind because I wish I could have gotten to him beforehand. But you're right. A lot of people have the mindset that if I can afford the payments, I can afford the object. The problem with that mindset is, yes, maybe you can afford the payments, but one, you build a house of cards that if something goes wrong, you're in trouble. If the company decides we're going to discontinue a product line, and so there's not revenue coming in from that anymore, but the house of cards may fail. If something else happens, you lose a couple team members or whatever, there's a lot of scenarios that can happen certainly in that situation. So being able to afford the payments and being able to afford the object are not quite the same thing. Also, all that money that you're putting towards affording these payments is less money that you're putting away towards your financial future, whether that's retirement or sending your kids to college or whatever your financial goals are. And so you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, as they say in that scenario. So those are some of the pitfalls with that. I can afford the payments, therefore I can afford the object. And of course, then there's the interest. Your $40,000 car that you're making payments on, it's really not a $40,000 car because at the end of all those payments, you've paid probably 45 or 47 or $50,000 for that car. I think it's why 
when people do these ideas of even when you were talking about interest, it made me think about the saying people buy on emotion justify logically. And so we could do the justification all day long. And what if you had this interest and you actually put that into a mutual fund owning 12% interest and all these things? Well, that's a very logical, I don't know if that's left brain or right brain thinking, but that's the logical aspect of it. But it's really the emotional, but to your point, it's first starts in the mindset. It's like mindset and then the emotional component. And then you can add in all the logical justifications around all of those things. But those things have no weight whatsoever unless you can first begin in the mind. So I think that's a really good point that you make there. What's the difference in a financial coach and a financial advisor? I mean, like you said, there's a lot of people listening to this podcast that they are financial advisors. They have long designations with a lot of commas behind their name, right? And they're like, oh, yeah. I know all there is to know sure, about, sure. you know, all these different financial instruments out there and they even get into cryptocurrency, et cetera. So why do I need a financial coach? Right, right, right. I get that question all the time, all the time. So a financial advisor is someone who's going to help you reach your financial goals by helping you develop an investment strategy, maybe selling you some investment products, maybe giving you investment advice. They even surely have the skill set to help you do some kind of budget. But what they don't work on is the mindset. And that's really where a financial coach is going to spend a lot of time. It's kind of like having a personal trainer. Financial coach is being like a personal trainer for your money. Okay. So if you want to get into the shape, you know what to do. There's lots of YouTube videos you can watch and books you can read, but it's somebody who is your accountability partner, your cheerleader. Sometimes they hold your hand. Sometimes they give you a little nudge, whatever it is. So I work with people who earn good money, but struggle with things like too much debt or overspending or earning good money, but still living paycheck to paycheck, or even communication issues on money between spouses. So I help people really understand why they do what they do with their money, and then help them build their habits over time that will then get them financially healthy and able to start investing if they haven't invested before, or invest even more if they want to go that route. A financial advisor really isn't equipped from a time standpoint or a skill standpoint or even a desire standpoint sometimes to do the kind of hand-holding accountability that we do as financial coaches. In fact, I work hand-in-hand with a lot of financial advisors because they will call me. I get a lot of calls where they say, I've got this couple. They earn $400,000 a year. I'm trying to get them to do X, Y, and Z with their money, and they're just not doing it. And so he will refer business to me or she will refer business to me, and I'll work with them for a certain period of time and basically get them ready to then start working with that financial advisor. I think that makes a lot of sense because the advisor is looking at this saying, wait a minute, they make $400,000, $500,000 a year. Where's all this money going? And they can't give you a really good answer. And so you go in and there's a term like find the money. It's not necessarily finding the money, but you'll change the behaviors and the habits so that they're able to actually put in 10, 15, $20,000 a month into whatever strategy that may be. And so for somebody listening to this, maybe they truly, he or she 
are really tight with their spouse on their money. I'm going to talk about that in just a second and ask you a question around that. But they may also have some clients that they say, goodness gracious, they need some help. And then that even positions you as the real trusted advisor to be able to recommend somebody to be able to help them with that, that ultimately you could come back and get the benefit of that, whether that's in some sort of investment product or a uh, permanent life insurance product, et cetera. So I think that was a really good point that you made there that I had not considered. Do you do work with couples? And I don't want to say money counseling, I mean, of what that would be, but I mean, there's this simplified way of thinking about uh, what he or she is a spender and I am the saver, right? There's this idea. It's like, oh, if you get two spenders together, buddy, they're going to have a big old time to have no money, right? If you have two savers, they're going to be boring and they're going to have all this money and do nothing with it, right? So what do you see there? Yeah, money is a real flashpoint in relationships. In fact, I've read some statistics that money is the number one source of conflict in a marriage and causes something like, I think I read 72% of all divorces. So it's a huge issue. And I do work with a lot of couples. So sometimes it's just what you said. One has a money personality of a spender. One has kind of a money personality of a saver. There's a couple of other money personalities too, by the way. There's one called a money hoarder where somebody just wants to hoard their money all the time and never spend anything. That's actually, you know, kind of the saver. There's a money personality called a money monk, where they believe that money is the root of all evil. And so if they get money, they tend to just give it away because they want to live kind of like this hippie bohemian lifestyle. And then there's the avoider. That's the person who I don't even want to deal with my money. So they tend to sometimes not pay bills because I don't even want to deal with it or I don't even want to look at my investments. So there's lots of different money personalities at play. And when you have a couple that have different emotions, beliefs and philosophies around money, that is a recipe for some conflict. So part of what we do, and we actually have a workshop creating money harmony that we give. And part of what we do is help the couple to develop a shared vision for not only their life, but their money. Because a lot of couples have never sat down and have that conversation. And then we give them a skill set to how to talk about money in a way that's productive, in a way that they're communicating better, that they can become, as we say, the dream team together with their money. Yeah, it brings me to my next and really, I guess, close to my final question. And that is, I think that business owners, male or female, are getting more willing to be vulnerable. I think that they're willing to be more open with struggles that they have in their business to mental health type things. We've had some people on the podcast certainly talk about that. But there could also be somebody that's listening to this, but they're just not willing to reach out to someone like you because it admits some sort of defeat. It admits failure. Debunk that for us. If I were to say kind of what's the one thing that I think every person should do with their money from a personal standpoint and a business standpoint, I would say have what I call a spending and savings plan, not a budget, because budget, when you say that word, people run for the hills, right? It feels restrictive. 
It yeah. feels like I have to live this super uber frugal life. So I call it a spending and savings plan. And really it's knowing where your money goes. I hear so often from people where they say, we earn good money, but where does it all go every month? Like my credit card bill comes and I've got all these charges. Where did I even spend so much money? So I think insurance agents as small business owners, they're very used to tracking things like revenue, tracking things like premium, tracking things like the number of applications or the number of sales. Sometimes they even track things like how many internet leads come in, how many quotes are done, how much time the team members spend on the phone. So there's lots of tracking. But when it comes to tracking money, I don't know that I would say that insurance agents are particularly great at that or are tracking the right things. And so to kind of answer your question, I think that if they're feeling like, I know I need to do something different, but I don't know who to reach out to for help. I don't know who to talk to about this. Think of it as, hey, as a business owner, I'm actually going to put together a spending and savings plan for my business or a budget for my business, because that sounds like a really smart business move. And that's one of the things that Money Mentor Group and as a financial coach, I help people with. The fixed expenses on anybody's spending and savings plan, whether it's a personal or a business, that's easy. You know what those are. Frankly, you don't need to track them because they're the same every month, right? Your rent, your mortgage, your car payment, the same every month. You don't need to track it. You know what it is. Where people get into some issues are the variable expenses, and the one-time or annual expenses that everybody forgets about. So I call these the whammies. Okay. So whammies on in your personal life are going to be things like your annual expense to join your community pool. Oh, you didn't budget that in, but you pay for it every year. And if you're not careful, it's going to end up on your credit card or your sister's wedding. It's not an emergency because you knew it was coming up, right? But it's not part of like your budget, right? Or your spending and savings plan. So it's all these whammies that wreak havoc in somebody's personal life. That is one of the reasons why sometimes people end up in debt. And the same thing with a business. I would venture to guess that very few insurance agents who are running a small business actually have an emergency fund for their business. We all know we should have one for our personal spending and savings, but how many people have one for their business? And emergencies do happen in your business just as much as they happen in your personal life. So these are some of the things that small business owners can do to start to kind of get in the right direction and not feel like they're admitting, oh, I've got some kind of spending or savings issue. Love that. You know, I think it's such a great tie-in with what Club Capital does. They're the best in for insurance agency owners to be able to have such great data and perspective on things. But you're so right. Like, it's so important to use that data. We talk about it all the time, about using that data to make better decisions in your business. 
And then I think that also what this brings to me today is just so much about behaviors and the mindset around that too. Because it's so much you can look at the logical numbers and understand how important it is to put in perspective, to have, yeah, just perspective of where you stand next to some of the kind of the average and even some of the top performers and just being able to see it in graphical representation versus just a quick bucks P&L, right? Here's some money in $1,000 and here's expenses. Did revenue exceed expenses? And if so, by how much, right? So it's like good month. I mean, nobody pays attention to that. So I think yeah. it's so important. And then I think it's such a going a deeper level or going at it from a different angle about the mindset and behaviors around our money, both in the business and in our, in our personal finances. I think that's great. This has been great. I've learned a lot personally from this. I think I know our listening audience has as well. Where can they find you? Where would you like to point them to if they want to learn more about you, how you can help them with their business or their personal finances? Where should they go? Sure. Well, our website is www.moneymentorgroup.com. We are on lots of social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Clubhouse, LinkedIn. We also have a Facebook group that we just started recently. It is free to join and it's a supportive community of people that are on a journey to improve their money mindset and money behavior. And if you go onto the website, you will see lots of information about individual one-on-one coaching, group coaching that we do, speaking that we do with different groups courses, workshops, free downloads, our blog, lots of information for everyone. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, if you're listening to this, you're a coach to so many people, to your family, to obviously your teams and to so many of your clients. And so it's important for you to be able to develop yourself. You're listening to this podcast. You're somebody that wants to be able to grow in your grow your business, grow in your leadership and grow and develop your team. And so it's a great way to be able to reach out to you and your team to help them do that. So I'd love to have you come back on in the future. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this. Appreciate it. It was great having her on. You know, there were a few things that she mentioned. I mentioned at the very beginning in the intro about your money story. So what is your money story and how did that get there? Who put that in your box, as Weldon Long likes to say? I think when we had the discussion around financial trauma as the thing that ultimately sometimes is the catalyst to reaching out to somebody for help, but it doesn't always have to be that way. Maybe you're just wanting to take your business financials, your personal financials, maybe even your marriage to the next level by reaching out to somebody to be able to help you to kind of work through those things, I think was great. I believe her definition of the difference between an advisor and a coach, financial coach, is something that we can all relate to. She did mention the difference in a budget and a spending and savings plan. That was definitely something that I'm going to take away and remember for some time. And then lastly, she just mentioned people's self-worth being tied to their net worth. And I think that that is so true. There's a vulnerability around being able to admit that. And I think whether it's your net worth or even your production numbers. I think that resonates with somebody out there that your self-worth gets tied into whatever rankings that you're in, that your agency, no matter who you work for, where you stand on a weekend and week out basis. And that's not healthy. The entrepreneurial roller coaster that we're all on is tough in and of itself. And so don't tie your self-worth to your net worth or to your production numbers. You're bigger than that. You're more important than that to the world. 
if she can help you, make sure you go to moneymentorgroup.com, moneymentorgroup.com and check them out. A big shout out to our sponsors, Direct Clicks, how you're wanting to be able to have more money for you to be able to manage and do something with to pay off debt. We need to be able to have some investment in leads in your book and business, but also, you know, the importance of having an online profile, but so many different ones out there. Who do you choose? Do you reach out to somebody that your friend down the road has recommended, or do you want to actually reach out to somebody that can really help you to be able to have the online profile in a profile that converts a profile in a display that actually brings leads in? What about pay-per-click? You want to invest in that? You know, people are spending money there, but you're not exactly sure how to do it. Reach out to our friends at DirectClicks, directclicksinc.com. Today's podcast was a perfect segue for what Club Capital does to help insurance agency owners from across the country to be able to have a better understanding and perspective of their revenue and expenses so that you can ultimately make better decisions in your business. But to do that, you need more than just a P&L. You need to be able to have those numbers. Some people are very graphical. You need to be able to see them in different graphs and charts and be able to put them in perspective from last month or even year to date, or even compared to last year. Are you being able to get that? Are you getting that from who you're using now, whether you're doing it yourself? You may be a pretty highly, really overpaid person that doesn't really get the perspective that you need because you're not actually being able to see what other people are doing with your company, in your area, et cetera. Reach out to club.capital, book your no obligation demo today and see what Club Capital can do for you. Until next episode, lead well.